Good morning. Tim does love to introduce me. It's funny, I always think the way he says my name at the end sounds like being introduced to the boxing ring. It's like that. It seems to emphasize syllables in the name. It feels a bit like that. Yeah. Well, it's just good to be here. This feels, this is one of our homes, really. Uh, I guess we have a few. Um, it's just the way life's worked out, but this is definitely an absolute favorite place for us to be um, with Steve and Juliet, who are friends before anything else, and, um, and the family and amazing team that, they are just a great team of people here that make this place happen. Uh, it's a very special place, so um, it's always a great pleasure. We just had the leaders gathering, which was uh, very, very enjoyable, and uh, Tim kind of interviewed me. The two of us had a little chat on stage, which uh, was a lot of fun. I'm not sure it was necessarily the highest point for me, but it was because there were so many, but it was a a really great time to sit and let his brain spill out over me. It was great, you know. So, um, yeah. But just good to be here. Honestly, if we didn't have grandsons living in Windsor, we'd probably move. Don't start praying that one because it won't work because you're praying against a praying grandma and you can't stop praying grandmas. They, they, get, they have the power, you know. So, Well, what I want to share this morning uh, is I, I'm on a personal journey. I'm actually writing a book, um, which I seems weird to me that I write books, really. I suppose one of these days I might call myself an author, but I haven't quite got there yet. But I have written some books, which I guess is the qualification of being an author. But... You know, like some of my friends, when they're asked what they do, they'll tell people on a plane, I'm an author. It's like, I haven't gone there yet. That feels a little bit up there. But I'm writing a book about um, Paul and really focusing on uh, his moment on the road to Damascus. And um, I've taught some of that before and I'll, I'll, I'll fill in a few gaps. And, you know, it is one of the stories from the Bible that gets used in the secular world, doesn't it? People talk about, you know, a Damascus Road experience in the, you know, on the news because somebody's life's been turned around. It's one of those stories. You know, prodigal son, Daniel in the lion's den, you know, Saul on the road to Damascus. The secular world has stolen them because they don't have stories as good as ours, basically. That's what it really is. And... Um, And what I want to share this morning is that the result of that moment that, you know, Saul, it says, was breathing murderous threats. We sanitise this stuff when we read the Bible. I don't think I've ever heard anybody open reading that chapter in Acts and, and kind of like scream out, he's breathing murderous threats. He is an angry murderer on a road, on a mission to kill Christians. He's the worst of the worst, the baddest of the bad. And then he has this moment on the road to Damascus. And before that, he was a condemner. He condemned people. And by the very nature of his life, he was himself condemned. That he was a man who'd studied the Scriptures and thought he knew the answers and had the right to say that the followers of the way, the Christians, this new group, were wrong. And yet he has a moment on the road to Damascus where everything changes in a moment. And as part of what I've been writing, I had written um, a list of Scriptures, Bible verses. And 
because I'd called them the big verses of Paul, the great verses of Paul. Now, my I'm not going to share them all. I think I, I managed nine this morning. I've got about 20 that I've put in the book. And you'd probably have your own, to be honest. They're, they're, some of you would go, no, I've got another one. But they're these big verses. And in my mind, as I've been studying and writing, I'm thinking he wrote these not in an academic exercise. He didn't write them you know, in college. He didn't write them because somebody had asked him for a thesis. He wrote them out of the dirt and the dust of the Damascus Road that utterly transformed him. And what my hope is that, that each of you would take one of these verses this week and as it were, you would step over a line in your life, in an area of your life where you need an absolute truth in your life. One of the things I said earlier, and I'm sure it will be the subject of a conversation between Tim and I in the future, is that our world, it's interested in what I call grey area discussions. And it's almost as if people's intellect is being measured by their ability to have a grey area conversation. But Paul, as a result of that moment on the Damascus Road, writes these truths that are absolute truths. And I, I believe that you will find them encouraging and that I believe there are many of you will have an application for one or more of these verses that weren't written in an academic scenario. They were written, I believe, from the dirt and the dust of Damascus Road, where he stepped over, as it were, a line, a moment in his life where he's, thrown to the ground with a power encounter, a suddenly encounter. And he meets the resurrected Jesus and he becomes obsessed with the resurrected Jesus. And, and you and I should be obsessed with the resurrected Jesus. The resurrected Jesus is the only Jesus that Paul knew. And actually, he's the only Jesus that we know, the resurrected Jesus. And Paul becomes obsessed and with the resurrected Jesus and of course writes this massive chunk of our New Testament. And some, you know, some people start to criticise or, or comment or say actually really dumb things. And I mean, I, in one book it says that, it says Jesus didn't ever, ever preach the Gospel. Paul was the first to preach the Gospel. What nonsense. Jesus is the Gospel. He was, he is, and he forever will be the gospel. What Paul wrote was his gospel. Paul wrote a my gospel, which is the working of the gospel of Jesus Christ through his life. And every one of you should have a my gospel, which is the working of Jesus Christ through your life, the truth of who Jesus is and what he says through your life. And you have your gospel, a my gospel. And so that which Paul wrote, he wrote because he encountered the resurrected Jesus. And, and he wrote what we today call theology, but that theology was birthed in encounter. And I don't know why in the academic books there isn't a section called encounter theology because actually I think there should be. Because our Bible is, you know, in a way, I'm gonna say something that might sound almost wrong, but I, I don't really like the name Holy Bible very much because I don't think it describes what it is. I mean, the Bible means a library, so that's good. 
Holy means totally other. It's a library of totally other experiences of man with God. That's really what it is. And uh, so I want to just go through some verses with you this morning, present some absolutes, mention a little bit about how Paul, who was Saul, got there. And I want to offer you an idea that you might take one of these verses for you, for this week, for your breakthrough, so that you can step over a line in your life. And let me start with this one. Now, I am probably going to say several times, this is a favourite. I can't help myself. The book's a favourite. I like the book. The whole Bible, the whole library. It's an encounter library of ordinary men and women who encountered the living God and for, forever changed. But they... they they didn't start as heroes, they become our heroes. They started as ordinary men and women and tax gatherers and soldiers and fishermen. So let me start with the first, Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. He, Paul doesn't say, well, there might still be a bit of legitimate condemnation. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And some of us battle self-condemnation. Some of us doubt ourselves and question ourselves. If anyone has ever been qualified to write that verse, it was Paul. He was the condemned and the condemner. But he would say, there's no condemnation. If you beat yourself up at times, if you condemn yourself, if you suffer from self-condemnation, if you don't think you're worthy or worth it, that your life's been too messed up, grab that verse for you this week. Step over the line from some condemnation, self-condemnation to there is therefore now no condemnation. No one can condemn me because I am in Christ. He's qualified to write it and he wrote it, Romans 8, 1. And then jump forward, and I'm gonna skip through these because I'm just running through the Bible and you can do the same thing. You can, you can find yours. But the point is they're absolutes. They're not grey area, they are absolutes. Paul discovered the absolutes in that moment on the road. They are, as it were, black and white theology. What about this one? Romans 8, 28. It's a favourite of mine for definite. It's almost the motto of my life. He wastes nothing. He gets you ready. I've shared it here before as a message. But Paul says all things, all things, all things. Remember who's writing it? He is the one who stood by the clothes of the ones who murdered Stephen. He's heading to Damascus, breathing murderous threats. He has a life that had been committed to ending the followers of the way. And he says, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. All things. Maybe you look at your life and you think, I messed up there. That relationship didn't work out. That job didn't work out. I broke the law here, I did something here. And you're thinking, what can God do with that? I have good news for you, all things. Not some things, but all things. 
Just down the road, I noticed when Sue and I were walking here, there's a Greek Orthodox Church. That Greek Orthodox Church will almost certainly have a festival of showbread at some stage during the year, whenever that festival happens. The word showbread in Greek is translated from the same word as purpose, prothesis, before God. Now, I don't, I don't want to go any further than that, but it's a beautiful coincidence, isn't it? Showbread, that Greek Orthodox church will make some bread and they will put it in the presence of God for three days. It will be before God. And the good news is that your all things will work together for good if you bring it before God as your purpose in your life. One of the greatest challenges, Rachel actually uh, reminded me in the break that some of what I, I've been saying is helpful for people who are suffering from a loss of purpose, have got this low-grade nagging depression and anxiety. Why am I alive? And they're questioning their life and their history. Well, here's your answer, all things. All things work together for good to those that love God and accord according to His purpose. Paul wrote it, qualified to write it, more than anyone probably who's ever lived and ever will live. Don't doubt that your all things will work together for good because you've presented your life before God. All things. Or what about 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 12. I wrote it down wrong and said it wrong first service too. 2 Corinthians 12, it's a beautiful verse. It's a, a red letter verse in the, in the letters of Paul. In other words, in my Bible, it means Jesus said it. It's this, my grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient. It's enough. It's complete. It's all you need. It's not lacking. My grace is sufficient for you. If anyone needed to understand the sufficiency of grace, it was a completely unqualified terrorist on the road to Damascus who was trying to murder Christians. He was unqualified if anyone was qualified to write that verse. It's Paul, it's an absolute. My grace is sufficient for you, says Jesus. I don't know about you, you know, I think about Paul writing. He didn't have copy paste. He couldn't separate himself from the emotion of writing a word. Can you imagine him writing grace every time he wrote it and feel it like coursing through his veins, reminding himself of how unqualified he was, but that his grace is sufficient. It's all you need. His grace is sufficient. But I, I, I read last week and, and saw something I personally had never seen before. Because those red letter words go on to say this, for power is perfected in weakness. Sometimes people throw that verse around. His grace is sufficient, brother, you'll be okay. His grace is sufficient for you, you'll get through. It's true, but they miss something. In your weakness is an invitation for the perfection of His power. I've never seen it before. In my weakness is an invitation for the perfection of His power. It's not just grace that just helps me get through it, comforts me, soothes me, encourages me. No, there is an invitation in my weakness 
to rely on His grace and see the perfection of His power. His grace is sufficient. These are absolutes. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3, 15 to 17. And what's fascinating is Paul's writing to Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, from childhood you've known the sacred Scriptures. I can almost imagine him in his mind thinking, well, Timothy, you knew the sacred Scriptures. And while you knew the sacred Scriptures, I was studying them. But what, what Saul did with the Scriptures he studied justified him somehow to murder Christians. But having stepped over the line on the road to Damascus, the Scriptures that justified his persecution became the Scriptures that he now says, all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every, absolutes, every good work. You see, that so many people want a grey area conversation. They want to have a chat about what do you think about this aspect of, you know, sexuality, immorality, the world, all of this stuff that's out there. They, they take you to a grey area, but if before you go to the grey area, you can grab this and say, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's an absolute. And somehow Paul would go from reading this book, the first half of this book, and using that to justify his wicked deeds of murder, he went from that, stepped over a line with an encounter with the resurrected Jesus and realised that all Scripture is inspired by God for training, for equipping, for reproof, so that every one of us should become adequate and equipped for every good work. All Scripture. These are absolutes. Oh, what about this one? This has been a verse in so many people's lives, I'm sure. Romans 8. In fact, the whole of Romans 8 is really Paul's masterclass and masterpiece. That's what I call it. It's his masterclass and his masterpiece and it ends with this. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate you from the love of God. There is actually one thing missing and that's past. The past isn't in that verse. It says the present and the things to come. It doesn't say the past because the past can separate you from the love of God. But Paul had stepped from his past into his present and he says nothing. It's so important because I think sometimes we can think that maybe there is some weird demon that nobody's heard about that has a mission for my life and that that demon can separate me. Paul says there's nothing can separate. It's an absolute. There's nothing that can separate us. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you feel a bit distant from God. Maybe you can't hear Him. It's a difficult season for you. Grab this verse and start saying nothing. 
can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. Not angels, not demons, not present, not things to come. Nothing. These are absolutes. And I believe that they are foundations for us with which we can deal with everything that comes into our heads. Nothing can separate us. Paul, whose history was in separating people, dividing people, is now saying, there's nothing. Nothing that can separate us. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. It's beautiful. Paul had obviously read it. He'd read it as Saul. He'd read it in the Old Testament. He'd read it in, the, in Isaiah. He'd read this, things which eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor heart conceived, what God has prepared for those that love Him. And yet Saul had studied that. And, and somehow I think that he must have thought that he knew the answer and that he knew enough to say this new sect of Christianity is wrong. But he steps over the line and the Damascus Road has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus and realises, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, heart hasn't even stopped long enough to work up these ideas of what God has prepared for those who love Him. And the word in there again is all. All that God has prepared. All that God has prepared for you. It's an absolute. And Paul will live the rest of his life in an expectation of there's more. I haven't heard it yet. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't thought it yet. There's more prepared for me. If you're questioning your purpose, if you're thinking I haven't managed to work it out, I can't access every idea right now. You weren't meant to. You're just meant to believe that He's prepared it for us because we love Him. 2 Corinthians 5.17, are you doing okay? Skipping through the Bible. I know you're a church that's loving the Bible, standing up when the Bible's read, buying new Bibles like Steve bought his beautiful green Bible there. We both bought new Bibles pretty much. I, within a month, I think, of each other, to be honest, strangely. We both bought goatskin Bibles. Mine has a wide margin. It's a little, that's my only little quirk. Um, so skipping around the Bible is pretty good for you guys. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. A new creature. It's an absolute. How do I know it's an absolute? Because it then goes on to say this, old things have passed away. And passed away is a polite way of us saying somebody died. The old man's dead, he's passed away. You're a new creature. Paul knew that. He stepped over that line. He left the old guy behind. He became a new creature. The truth is you became a new creature at the moment of salvation. It's not a journey where you get it little by little. What you do is you become a new creature and you spend the rest of your life discovering the new creature that He's made you to be. You're a new creature. Old things have passed away. It's an absolute. It's as if the very DNA of the cells of your body is changed in that moment. You become a new creature. It's an absolute. 1 Corinthians 15, 16 is a 
a beautiful one. You see, for me, what happened with Paul on the road to Damascus is that he, he got a new theology, really. His letters were changed. He was carrying letters, giving him permission to kill Christians. His letters changed on the road to Damascus. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians. He says, you are our letter. His theology changed. His zeal was repurposed. That's why I, I love this chapter here, chapter 15, where he's talking about resurrection. And he says this, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. It's absolute. It's not a question. The, the teaching and the truth is Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He knew the story. He'd heard it spilling over around Jerusalem. He, he was around the time of Jesus. He heard the story. He heard the narrative and on the road to Damascus, he met the narrator. And he, he's able to say with confidence, look, if the dead are not raised, even Christ is not raised. My, my wife, I, I, I actually did ask him a question. First service, I said, if, if Paul's theology is Pauline, what would Sue's theology be? He didn't know the answer, which he's gonna work on it, I know. My wife has Pauline theology. It's absolute. This is what she says. He is either who he says he is or he isn't. That's pretty good, isn't it? You should think that's better than it is. That is, that is what we believe. He is who he says he is. And that's what Paul's saying. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. See, people want a grey area discussion. I love the book, The Case for Christ. The movie is actually quite fun too. The book, The Case for Christ, where a man sets out to prove that Jesus Christ isn't who he said he was. And he ends up with a book called The Case for Christ, which is one of the bestsellers of all time because he consulted the archaeologists and the lawyers and the doctors and the historians and all of the evidence said he is who he says he is. And finally, and then Steve's going to come up and minister with me. And some of you may well be in this position and need this absolute. It's an absolute that comes from Romans chapter five. It's a wonderful sequence of verses where Paul writes, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's what happened to Paul. He's on the road, he's Saul, he's breathing murderous threats. He gets thrown to the ground and by faith, because he's blind, he's introduced to grace in which he stands. And then he goes on to say, and we not only, not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. We exalt, we worship in the tough stuff, knowing that when we do that, it produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. It's an absolute. Hope in Him does not disappoint. It will never take you to the wrong appointment. Never. It's an absolute. Paul understood this. He knew this. By the time he wrote Romans, he'd been shipwrecked. He'd been left for dead. He'd been beaten. He'd been left in the ocean. He'd been hungry. He'd been starving. Flogged. 
He'd been through all of that. He didn't write any of this from academia. He wrote it from life's experience. And I believe that every one of us needs to learn to write our theology, as it were, out of the experience of Jesus Christ working through our life. The absolute here is hope does not disappoint. It doesn't. You might be waiting for a breakthrough, wait, waiting for you know, the job, the healing, the finances, the wife, whatever you're waiting for. Rejoice in your tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope does not disappoint. These are absolutes from the life of Paul who, who was transformed on the road to Damascus by an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He didn't write these in academia. He didn't write them because somebody asked him to write a paper. He wrote them out of who he was and who he had experienced. If you are beating yourself up, declare over yourself this week, there's no condemnation. If you're struggling to make sense of the pieces of your life, begin to declare all things work together for good. If you're... If you just look at your past or you look at a situation and it's a challenge, begin to declare His grace is sufficient. You feel weak, you start saying, your grace is sufficient. Perfect your power in my weakness. If you're having struggles with belief or the culture of our world, secularism that's being thrown at you, start to declare all Scripture is inspired by God. If you feel a bit separate from God, you feel a bit distant from Him, you feel like there's things that have got in the way, begin to declare, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing exists, nothing has been created that can separate me from the love of God. If you're thinking of your future, trying to work out what to do, wondering why you haven't got the newest, freshest idea, begin to say, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor my heart conceived what God has prepared because I love Him. If you're struggling with stuff, old habits, you keep being pulled back into old ways of life, habits or addictions or anything like that, begin to declare, I'm a new creature. I am a new creature in Christ. I have been fully transformed into a new creature. The old has passed away. The old me is dead. Or if you have doubts over your faith, you're looking for a sense of assurance. You want to be able to sing blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. You want that confidence in your faith. Begin to declare Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and because He is risen from the dead, so will I be. And I have a sure foundation in my faith in Jesus Christ. Or if you're waiting for your breakthrough, begin to worship in your tribulation and declare, hope will not disappoint. Steve, are you gonna come up and join me and we'll minister and... <laughs>